Just gonna run this dog to see if we can find any type of uh, human remains that are left. Listen to Where Secrets Go to Die, The Disappearance of Derek Hennigan. From the Detroit Free Press, a new podcast set in the woods of Michigan's Upper Peninsula. Available on Apple, Spotify, Freep.com, or wherever you get your podcasts. Pastini is Eugene's new Italian bistro at Oakway Center. Dedicated to serving up two of life's greatest pleasures, pasta and wine. Join them for classic favorites like spaghetti and meatballs, linguine with clams and sausage, and fettuccine Alfredo paired with hand-selected Pacific Northwest and Italian wines. Pastini. Eat pasta. Drink wine. Welcome to the Duck Pod. From the Register Guard Newsroom, here's Ryan Thorburn and Austin Meek. All right, we're back for another episode of the Duck Pod. Austin, we're now inside 100 days until Oregon's football season kicks off against Auburn. This week, we've come up with something special for our podcast. We have a, a really good guest, Dan Rubenstein from the Solid Verbal, which is, for my money, the best college football podcast out there from a national perspective and fortunately for us and this offseason pod dan is a, a oregon duck uh, fan and a, a university of oregon alum so it's great to get him on to to kind of get allow him to talk about the ducks which he can't do all of the time on the solid verbal and also uh, get his national perspective on things out here great follow on twitter too if if you don't follow him uh gives you the uh, the college football talk and will tell you where to find a good sandwich, which is information all of us can use. So I would recommend that uh, you subscribe and rate and all those things, the solid verbal. And if you're going to do that, please do the same for us here at the Duck Pod. And without further ado, let's go to our guest. Our guest this week is Dan Rubenstein, who hosts a very popular college football podcast, The Solid Verbal Dan, thanks so much for uh, joining our little podcast out here in Oregon this week. I know uh, that you have ties to Oregon, and that's why we really wanted to get you on, and, and we really appreciate it. Oh, pleasure is all mine. I get to nerd out about the Ducks. Let's, let's do this. Now, obviously, the Solid Verbal is part of College Football Lexicon. It's a great title. Uh, it has to do with recruiting. So just take us to the beginning. How did you end up... Uh, with your recruiting to Oregon, how did you end up from Southern California to Eugene, like so many of their recent football guys? Oh, it's a good question. Um, I had really wanted to go away, and I know that sounds weird for somebody from Southern California to want to leave and go somewhere a little grayer. Um, but I wanted—I've always wanted to go away to college. I was either thinking business school or journalism, and really like that. Uh, the U of O has a, uh, a, it's not called broadcast journalism, it's electronic media. I really like that element to it. I was also considering USC, um, but I got to stay on the West Coast. I got to do electronic media. I had a radio show at the, the U of O. I got to film a bunch and edit a bunch of video. And so it gave me a great backbone. And uh, at, at first there was some, it, it was an adjustment, getting used to the change from Southern California to the Pacific Northwest. But ultimately, 
very glad I did and uh, had a blast there. And what era of football were you involved in on campus? Was And how did that affect, I guess, your, your passion for the sport? Sure. Uh, I'd always liked college football as you know, somebody growing up in Southern California, but neither one of my parents is from the L.A. area, didn't go to USC or UCLA. So I just sort of enjoyed it from afar. I, I liked Florida State. I liked, you know, I liked players and I liked teams, but I, didn't, I wasn't like a, a diehard of anybody specific. Um, I was there from 01 to 05. So my 2001 year was the freshman year, Joey Harrington, Fiesta Bowl, incredible. And then it would be 02, 03, 04, all pretty down years relative to what came pretty quickly after, but it certainly did inform and educate my, my love for the sport because I just, I didn't grow up in that culture. I didn't grow up in the Midwest or the South and even up and down California. It's not really, you know, it doesn't, towns don't shut down, but Eugene was, was special in that way where the stadium was loud. The first game I went to was Oregon beating USC and on a last second Jared Siegel field goal. And there was just something special about, I mean, I didn't really tailgate, but like the way that everybody was pouring over like the, the land bridge, whatever, um, to the games. So there was something so communal about it that when I, when I graduated, doing something in college football, doing something potentially in comedy, um, I, I ended up working in LA a little bit in comedy and TV, but the, the, the idea of college football and using that as a canvas to, to make things was, was super appealing because of the time I spent in Eugene, and I, and I wanted to see more of it. Just to date myself a little bit, I actually covered that Fiesta Bowl. I was working at, in Boulder, the Boulder Camera. Uh, mm. yeah, as you remember, Colorado thought they should have been in the uh, championship game after crushing Nebraska, yep. and it was a I think Oregon would have won anyway, but it was a nice setup for them that or that Colorado was talking a lot of smack about Nebraska and not really talking too much about Oregon. Obviously, Oregon finished number two in the poll that year, so they were a big-time program. But uh, were you at all surprised or obviously thrilled that a few years later when, when Mike Bellotti retires that Chip Kelly takes it to this uh, whole new stratosphere? And, and what was that like, I guess, watching it as an alum? It was, I, I wasn't positive how it was going to work out, but that happened after the 2008 season, which ended really well. It ended with a really fun Holiday Bowl win over Oklahoma State. It ended with not just killing Oregon State, if, I, if I'm getting the years correctly, but it was ending Oregon State's dreams of going to a Rose Bowl. And I was at that game and saw the field of the stands littered with non-celebratory roses for the Beavers. That was pretty fun. Um, I was a little bit skeptical after that, that first Boise State game, where the Garrett Blunt game, but pretty soon after, when Michael James stepped in and had that huge game against Utah, and it was pretty clear that there was potential for this program, and that he was recruiting pretty well, and even dealing with the, the Masoli situation like he did, and moving to Darren Thomas, there was... It always seemed like there was a plan, even early on in the Chip Kelly era, and I remember that there was a I think it was also 2009, the Arizona game, down in Arizona, the overtime game with Jeremiah Masoli, and they just looked like a much more prepared team for that overtime. Like, they had practiced what they were going to do in overtime 1,500 times, and that to me was, it just stood out that that was indicative of everything to expect of the Chip Kelly era, that they might lose, but it's not because they weren't ready. So it was, it was incredible to watch. 
Dan, since you uh, have been out of college, you've had the opportunity to travel around and experience college football in a lot of different places. Uh, so for a college football fan who, uh, who really wants to uh, you know, experience the great atmospheres in college football, uh, what are your favorites? What are some of the, the favorite places you've been to? LSU is overwhelming. I loved LSU. Um, Ole Miss is, and I don't like to use a qualifier, but it is the most unique place that I have been just because you can't grill at tailgates and, you know, students wear ties and, and dresses and heels and slacks. Um, so the Grove is pretty incredible. Um, everywhere you think is probably really good. I, I had a great time at Nebraska. I thought their fans were tremendous. But the atmosphere was great. Um, I'm trying to think of where else really left an impression on me. Um, the Ohio Stadium is just enormous. Um, I, I haven't been to Auburn. I haven't been to South Carolina. But I've been to probably 40 or so places now. And LSU, just in terms of the passion outside of the stadium, the passion inside the stadium, the volume, I, it really, I, I don't think it's, it's really comparable in terms of, of scale and scope. One thing I like about your podcast is, well, of several things, but number one is the chemistry you have with your partner, Ty Hildenbrandt, and also that you guys get creative in the offseason. As Austin and I know, it's, it's hard to even come up with anything to talk about uh, Oregon-based, even though everyone lives and dies it every week as we're leading up to this. This last week, you guys, they had you do some fantasy uh, scenarios, and one of them was, what would you do if you were replacing Rob Mullins as AD and had to cut the budget. Uh, I'm going to give you another one. What if uh, oh, no. What if they ask you to be Larry Scott's replacement? What What can you do to get the Pac-12 back on track, or do you think it's fine, it's just a, a cyclical thing? Um, I would love for the network to be seen by more places, and I don't know what you do in terms of when the TV deal is up to be renegotiated. Um, or whether or not you have to figure out a way to get on every Roku and Apple TV, whatever, if that's the future, which, you know, I, I think it is, but I, I don't know. I still watch TV. Um, the big thing is, is competitively for the Pac-12, I don't think it's ever been a conference that people are going to watch a ton of games of nationally. It, it's a conference that is going to be judged by what it's doing at the top. And if it's USC dominating with Pete Carroll or Chip Kelly or Jim Harbaugh, whoever is leading the, the team at the top of the Pac-12. It helps to have uh, a coach whose style and personality is recognizable. And I, I, I don't know how much there is for Larry Scott to do. His job is to keep all of the presidents and athletic directors happy at different schools. And there are certain things that are just going to be out of his hands. And, I, you know, if a couple things break differently, I don't think we're having this emergency conversation at the top. But... I, yes, there are certain optics that are not great. And I, I would probably try to move, for instance, I would move the conference championship game back to campus sites. I don't think you need to be in Santa Clara or Vegas. And that's, I think people will probably show up in Vegas. But I, I think there was a unique opportunity to have a much more organic experience with that. Um, yes, I, w- I would try to partner with a network next time the Pac-12 TV deal is up with the Pac-12 network and uh, sort of leverage some of the distribution elements that they have to offer. I, I understand his thing with uh, trying to control the rights and the, and the messaging, but there's a reason why other conferences didn't go that route. 
Dan, as a Duck fan, uh, give me your confidence level on Mario Cristobal. He's got the recruiting going, uh, won nine yep. games last year. Are, are you all in with this guy? Oh, yeah. I like him a lot. Uh, out of ten, it's about an eight and a half. And I, I'm curious to see what the offense looks like last year, and I understand the sort of Justin Herbert having three offensive coordinators in three years kind of thing where, you know, it's just another year of learning things in the pistol. That would be my only real concern is watching games last year, especially on the road with, with what, Arizona, Washington State, and Utah, when the team would come out offensively so flat, you know, whether it was at Washington State with the, the snapping issues, whether it was Arizona with just going three and out over and over again, Utah, they were unable to get into a rhythm. So, Offensively, with that line, with what we assume and perceive to be an improved receiving core, guys who are either new or better able to get open, Juwan Johnson, we'll see what happens um, if, if any sort of the dropping issues are changed. But I was big watching these games, and I was I was disappointed that the offense wasn't better at just taking free yards, whether it was swing passes or short hitches, and I understand the problems at receiver, but there was something about just getting to second and manageable, getting to second and short or third and short that they seem to struggle with on the road. And it improved later on in the year. You know, Jalen Red got more involved um, in the shorter passing game. Um, I think Justin Herbert needs to take a step forward both mechanically and, and how he sort of sees the field and makes decisions now that Dylan Mitchell is gone. But overall, with what Mario Cristobal has done, I thought the Andy Davalos hire was really smart. I, I thought... To go outside the program, to go with somebody young and up-and-coming and add something new to the defense and unpredictability, I really, really enjoyed that move. And that, that gave me even more confidence in Cristobal as somebody not just looking to keep everybody happy, to keep things fresh and, and to keep people on their toes. I really like that. And I, I obviously, the recruiting stuff is incredible. So very pleased, encouraged, and eager. So obviously you, as you mentioned, were here for Joey Harrington. Uh, Marcus Mariota won the Heisman five years ago. Mm-hmm. Just what are your thoughts on Justin Herbert returning instead of, uh, you know, a lot of guys would have taken that first-round opportunity. He seems to think differently than most big-time prospects. What, what are your thoughts on what he could be as a senior at Oregon? I think the sky is the limit. I, I mean, there are certain issues with the receivers and the tight ends that they're not necessarily at the level that Marcus Mariota had, but with his arm, with the state of the Pac-12 as it is right now, where you look at Oregon's schedule, and there is no sure thing defense on that schedule. This is, you know, I, I assume Washington's defense is going to be very good. I assume Washington State will be all right. Um, USC has a ton of talent on their defense, but there's nobody that is so experienced and so talented and so chock full of NFL players that I look at Justin Herbert as having a, a pretty uphill climb. And so when I look at his season, when I look at what's in front of him, if, if he is able to get confident, if, if he is able to step forward and, and throw into the middle of the field, for instance, or uh, hitting on some balls deep, then he should cleanly and easily be the best quarterback in the conference. And along with, what, Tua and Trevor Lawrence, Jake Fromm, I'll probably uh, be in that top group, uh, even with those other quarterbacks clearly having more talent around them. 
Dan, you're a, a great follow on Twitter, both for the, the college football talk and for the food takes. Uh, so, yeah. yeah, since you went to school here, give us your best Eugene food take. Uh, overrated, oh, underrated, place you always have to hit when you come back here. Uh, what, what's your best Eugene food take? I'm going to come clean. I haven't been to Eugene since, I want to say, 2011. That was the, the Oregon game that they lost to Matt Barkley and USC. And so, out of pure ignorance, I, I really wish I knew more about current Eugene food, but I never really liked Tracktown Pizza. Maybe it's improved. I just I thought the attention paid to Tracktown Pizza was perhaps, I mean, maybe they're told by nice people. I don't know. Um, so I, I prefer Pegasus, at least when I was in college, now far too long ago. I like Pegasus. I like the general vibe there. And I want to say the bar beneath Pegasus is where Chip Kelly went after game. That was his place. So I felt kind of good about that. Um, I always like Newman Seafood for some fish and chips. I think it's more of downtown. And then love the Glenwood for breakfast. Great wow. thick bacon right by campus. Great jelly. I think they had like homemade jelly. That Those were my big my big places. And there was a, a sandwich place downtown. I think it was called the Broadway Deli, but that's since closed. It was more of a, a bougie sandwich place that I loved. But, yeah, those Glenwood, Pegasus, Newman. Were, were huge for me. Yeah, you can't go wrong with the Glenwood, and Tracktown Pizza is not a sponsor of the podcast, so we're all good there. Great. Good, good, good. Uh, and well, it might be good now. I don't know. <laughs> Another uh, cool thing about your, your pod is you guys are able to, I don't know how much time you spend on this, but you're able to to give a shout out to North Texas or, you know, Army sure. Secondary. I mean, you guys really research everybody, not just. Uh, the Oregons and the USCs of the world. Um, so I'm guessing you know a little bit, quite a bit about Auburn, who Oregon opens the season with. That's a huge game, mm-hmm. not for just for Oregon, but for the Pac-12. Uh, how do you kind of see that that matchup uh, in in Arlington? Right now, I think I favor Auburn, and that's saying it without knowing who's starting a quarterback for Auburn, what their offense will look like now that Gus Malzahn is sort of retaking over the reins, but I, I need to see Oregon on the road with Mario Cristobal and Justin Herbert and Marcus Arroyo succeed. Especially like now they're going to the biggest stadium, the, the NFL stadium, that is the most daunting place to play uh, that there is. And so just because of recent history on the road and with what Auburn's defensive line looks like. I know that behind that defensive line, there's a lot of changes. And I, you know, I still have, I, you know, Booby Whitlow is a very good running back. They, they, they should be pretty deep at offensive skill positions. But everything in my mind, my brain says uh, that Oregon should be in a good place to win that game because of the experience coming back on defense. The offensive line should be able to handle uh, what Auburn has up front. I'm just more concerned about the, the creativity and the ability to adjust because Kevin Steele and this Auburn defense, they've been excellent these past few years, and I, I just I need to see it. I need the, the proof. I need the evidence, and hopefully we get that in week one with all this time to repair, but also, as we all know, week one is not necessarily indicative of what a team is. We saw it when Oregon went and played LSU to open the season, I believe, in 2011, and they looked discombobulated and didn't get into a rhythm until late. And then by the end of the season, they looked like a whole different team and won the Rose Bowl. So I, I really hope there is, you know, a clear look, and not to bring this full circle, that Oregon is just prepared. That Oregon comes out and the, the first few plays are scripted and it works. 
and it tells them what they need to know. But right now, I would uh, I would take Auburn. Dan, we love you on the Solid Verbal podcast. Uh, this was fun. Thanks for uh, helping us get through the off season here, and thanks for joining the podcast. Oh, my pleasure. Thank you so much for having me. And if you ever get that fix where you need to, to talk ducks more ex- extensively, <laughs> then Ty will let you you give us a call anytime during the season, and, and we'll get you on. Yeah, we'll talk about like we'll do a whole episode about Gus Cumberlander's pass rush move, <laughs> his, his his rip and dip versus swim. Yeah, I'm in. I'm ready. All right, let's Four do it. Four people would listen to that and absolutely love it. <laughs> I'm done. I'm ready. <laughs> All right. Well, thanks, Dan. We really appreciate it. Thanks for listening to this episode of The Duck Pod. Be sure to subscribe on iTunes or wherever you find your podcasts. 